0: The Count of Monte Cristo by French author Alexandre Dumas is often ranked in the top 100 novels of all time. Originally published in 18 parts from 1844 to 1846, audiences of that time experienced something akin to a gripping television show. At work, on the street, on a daily basis, people could talk of nothing else. Monte Cristo has been printed in dozens of languages and adapted into over 20 film and TV adaptations. Did we think it was an edge-of-your-seat adventure or just a giant bore? Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing The Count of Monte Cristo. I'm Curtis
1: and I'm Chelsea. Here at He Read, She Read, we believe that reading fosters relationships by sparking great conversations and encouraging empathy. We publish bi-weekly episodes on the second and fourth weeks of each month and every other month one of those is a book club style discussion between the two of us. At the end of January, we're discussing Ghost Talkers by Mary Robinette Kowal. Make sure you're following us on Instagram for Buddy Read News and other announcements at He Read, She Read.
0: You can also get in touch with us via email at hereadshereadpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying He Read, She Read, please take a few minutes to write a review on Apple Podcasts and you can help more bookworms find our show. We're so grateful for these reviews and they really make our day. So we like to start our buddy reads with a little bit of background and history and context for the books we're reading, but we kind of should start a little like background for why we chose this book. So I read The Black Count, which is the 2013 Pulitzer Prize winner for Biography, which was by uh, Tom Reese a couple of years ago. Really loved it. Um, I think, did you enter reading it or just recommending it to your students?
1: I never actually read it, but I recommended it to a few students who loved nonfiction, and they absolutely adored the book.
0: So the premise of that book is it's about Alexander Dumas' father, um, who is uh, Thomas Alexander Dumas, who was a Haitian general in the French army, and was kind of a contemporary of Napoleon, and then a subordinate to Napoleon, and ended up being the inspiration for some of the writings that his son would later serialize and would become the Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers and those swashbuckling like French adventure stories that we remember. Um, So his father was a general and kind of a famous for his fighting in Italy and in Egypt. And then he was imprisoned for a while and ended up being disowned by the French government. Um, He didn't he was trying to get some money from Napoleon as like a pension for when he was in prison and he ended up being disowned and dying of stomach cancer so his son kind of grows up in this time period of hey napoleon and my dad didn't really get along um but then as he's starting to write this book is kind of the second wave of the french kind of napoleonic empire so there was uh either a son or a grandson of napoleon that was kind of coming to power as a president or something or other and there was this kind of i don't want to say nostalgia but kind of nostalgia Mm -hmm. for the napoleonic era so that was kind of the cause for why the count of monte cristo became so popular and why people were tuning into their newspapers every week being like hey i gotta catch the next little bit of that story
1: it's like stranger things like all of a sudden everybody wants to be in the 80s and 90s again
0: yeah, it's like everything is all about whatever the nostalgia is that you're pining for. Mm-hmm. So for the the people of the 1840s, it was hey, the Napoleonic era of the like 1800s to 1810s, because um, the book takes place and is set during Napoleon's Hundred Days period. So this it takes place. And I'm going to go history nerd on some people because some people like that.
1: Go for it, hon.
0: Um, So he had been emperor for about 10 years um, and had been defeated and deposed by a European coalition that was like, we don't like you, Napoleon. You're not going to be emperor anymore. So he goes away to this island of Elba for about a year, just sitting and stewing in exile where they put uh, Louis back on the throne. Like, hey, Napoleon's gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Joke's on them. He leaves the island, comes back, takes power again assemble as an army and then they have to form another coalition they fight him at waterloo which is waterloo
1: famous by abba
0: abba thank you yeah um so then he's defeated there again goes into exile and that's kind of the last we ever hear of napoleon so this book is set during that time period where it's the who's loyal to whom is are people like people's loyalties in france are called into question being like are you a Bonapartist, or are you like for Louis and all of these things? And then that goes into be a, like a major plot point for Edmund Dante's, who is our hero. Is he? Is he? Hmm. And these are the questions that we're going to get into.
1: <laughs> Good historical background. That's really helpful. um I remember learning about Napoleon in like ap European history class or something like that. But then, of course, you never hear of him again. No. And, um, so as i was starting to read the count i had to go back and sort of look at that history just to get a sense of because the book opens and you get already like the contention between the napoleon supporters and the louis supporters and so i had to go back and figure out what that was all about so
0: one thing that i do want to say about um dumas father is he was the first person of color in the french military to become a brigadier general the first to become a division general and the first to be general in chief of an army. So I think I read somewhere that he was the highest ranking person of color in any major military uh, up until um, somebody was a four star or something in the American army relatively recently, like in the 70s. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was a big deal. But then because he was such a big deal is how he became like, well-known to napoleon and then they clashed so it was like he saw him as a rival and then they didn't really get along
1: Hmm, that's interesting
0: but that's a point or a plot point that then applies to the book where you see these people that are rising and then people that are their rivals talking crap
1: true did you talk did you already talk about when um dumas father was in prison
0: no uh i think i'm gonna just Crushed over it yeah, because it's really interesting so for two years he was kept in prison um malnourished incommunicado no like the family would send letters to the prison and they wouldn't hear anything back by the time he was released he was partially paralyzed blind in one of his eyes deaf in one ear and his psyche was just completely messed up um his son um hadn't been born yet or was like a baby so they didn't he didn't really hear any of this but that was a story that he grew up with because his father died like two years later and that prison just changed him and broke him and he didn't have a chance to really recover from that and I think that plays into a lot of the prison storyline of Monte Cristo where Edmund is in jail and how those years completely just broke him down until Mm -hmm. he had something to strive for which I think is a good narrative for how prison is today or like if you're not like working towards something it's just gonna break you down.
1: Hmm. I think it's really interesting that like so Alexandre Dumas as he was starting to become a writer and he decided well I'm gonna use my father's inspiration it's not like he got these stories from his father. No. Like it's not like he was sitting on his knee at bedtime like dad tell me about the Napoleonic War because <laughs> his father was either dead at the time that he was like ready for the stories or he just couldn't. Um, so I think it's interesting that he was that much of a legend that like the family passed these stories down or that society at large would have been spreading the stories. Right. I think that's really fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in terms of the literary history of the Count of Monte Cristo, because of course I can't help it either. All right, we're getting, into, <laughs> um, we're getting into it. It comes out of the French Romanticism movement, which was all about drama and emotion and big extravagance. So if you think of the famous French Revolution painting, um, Liberty Leading the People, can you picture it in your head? Oh, I'm there. Um, (laughs) With its like sweeping movement and rich colors and really powerful effect, that was huge French Romanticism. And that sort of big emotion and drama and sort of like color was spread throughout literature and theater as well so victor hugo is another author and playwright of the time so uh if you stack les miserables next to the count of monte cristo i think they're pretty close in page length like that's a tome as well yeah so these like huge epics that sort of celebrate France in general, sort of like celebrate patriotism and politics and freedom and justice. It's a, all part of the same movement. Um, ballet, opera, and the arts also thrived in this period, and we get vivid glimpses of that in Monte Cristo, where we get these details about French high society and culture. Those were some of my favorite parts of the book when it would be like a little pause and they would be talking about. Like, well, at the opera everybody arrives late because oh, yeah. you have to be fashionable. And then everybody's talking while the performance is going on. I was like, those poor opera performers.
0: It's a little bit of like the Parisian society yes. and all that stuff, yeah.
1: Um, and then the big thing that makes this a literary classic is that it was super famous across all of Europe. So mm-hmm. I would compare it to Game of Thrones.
0: I think that's a great way to put it because, like, I said it at the intro, People were talking about it on a daily basis like in the streets, being like, I wonder what's going to happen next. It's like when we were in the final season of Game of Thrones and everybody's on Twitter and going back and forth talking about the episodes.
1: There would have been BuzzFeed articles with the top 10 (laughs) tweets about the Count of Monte Cristo every week (laughs) back then if they had had the internet. Um, It's been translated a lot. It's been adapted to screen and stage and opera a lot. Um, But popularity doesn't necessarily equal being considered like a literary classic. And I say that with a little bit of disdain, but um, (laughs) there are some really big universal themes in here, like justice and... Vengeance. Yes. There's a lot of religious undertones, which you find in a lot of classic work. And I think just the fact that it was part of this huge literary and artistic movement. But having said all of that, it was not my favorite. I would never want to teach it. And I don't care to read it again. And to be perfectly honest with everyone, I still have like 30 chapters to go in the audiobook and I don't think I'm going to finish it.
0: <laughs> uh, Secrets
1: out. Chelsea didn't finish the buddy read. Bad student.
0: <laughs> I did finish it. Um, Good for you. <laughs> I know. But um, I think my general impressions, which we can move on yeah. into, is much like my feelings on the latest Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, if you cut out the boring middle bits, we got something going yeah so like the beginning is was super intriguing like I loved it all the way up until he finds the treasure Uh, Mm -hmm. I thought that whole piece was very compelling so what would you call that like the first quarter
1: maybe yeah it's like maybe even the first fifth or sixth because the book is just so long so
0: then there's a giant portion in the middle that I would be able to find with completely cutting out and then the last 30 chapters which you're not up to at that point. It gets very compelling again, and I enjoyed it from there until the end. Um, but it's kinda like the whole casino planet. If people are on my say wavelength <laughs> with Star Wars, if you just gonna cut out that whole storyline, we got something, we're cooking. Um, but I, I agree with you, like some of the beginning descriptions of uh like Dantes is like this noble character and his relationship with his father and mercedes Mm -hmm. and like this honor and a little bit of the pride at the beginning but then not like the injustice that is done to him that whole portion i was very into all the way through his prison time and escape but then when he starts to integrate into parisian society and exact and and enact as well yeah so when he tries to integrate into Parisian society and enact his revenge, I got completely sidelined because it just seemed he could have cut from A to B so much quicker. Like.
1: Yeah, I read somewhere that Alexandre Dumas was paid by the line
0: Oh, so, so we've got explain, somebody making that money. I don't. Okay. I didn't do
1: more digging, but I assume that he was. I mean, he was at the very least getting paid per chapter. Like every yeah. time a serial came out and it was selling thousands of copies, he was getting paid. And he did so.
0: eighteen of the serials for. And over this two was years. how
1: literature was dispersed at that time. Was like in these short snippets. So the book isn't necessarily meant to be read in one full go.
0: Yeah, which makes it tough when you're reading it in one full go because yes. you're like, this could be completely cut out or shortened. Yeah,
1: and even though we stretched it over the course of three months, it was still a lot. Yeah. So I loved the beginning. It. So Alexander Dumas was also a playwright, and I think that really came across. I felt like I was reading a Shakespeare play because of the like plotting between the few characters and like the humor back and forth and you've got like this drunk fool Mm -hmm. character and you've got the like sinister plot character and it really felt like Iago from Othello or the comedies like it really felt Shakespearean to me and I was loving it and I absolutely enjoyed it all the way up until he became the Count of Monte Cristo and then I found him so unbearable that I am really struggling To get through the book,
0: because you actually see him as like the villain of the story. I think he's
1: the villain. Yeah, I don't think that's an outrageous argument to say that Edmund Dantes is the villain of the Count of Monte Cristo.
0: I think that that's hot take.
1: Honestly, that's a little spicy. (laughs) If it were if it were more framed that way, and if he was written as a compelling villain instead of the hero, maybe I would have an easier time reading it. He owns slaves. And like Mary's a slave girl at the end of the book after like making fun of her to all society, and he's just terrible. Yeah,
0: he is. He's really not that great.
1: So okay, well let's talk about him.
0: <laughs> well, we'll do. We'll get into the character. Um, so to start off with, like you're talking about where it's this like Shakespearean description of him, like I'll I'll pull out a little quote. So. Even so, to be promoted to captain, one must flatter one's bosses a little. I expect to become a captain without that.
1: I think that I bookmarked that page too because okay. I thought of you.
0: <laughs> I like I like that a lot. Um, so, and then he's talking about um, his like relationship with Mercedes. Is like I'm not proud, but I'm happy. And happiness, I believe, is even more dazzling than pride. So he is like riding high on the fact that he's the first mate of this ship, the Pharaoh. He's in good with the ship's captain or the owner of the shipping company or whatever. So he's got a beautiful fiance. He's got money. He's going to be a captain of the ship. And he's a young sailor, so this is good news for him. Um, and then he just runs afoul with the wrong people. So at the beginning, up until he goes to jail, and even when he's in jail, he's a redeemable character. I love the character of Edmund Edmund Dantes. When he transitions to become the Count of Monte Cristo, he's an ass. Yes. And then I just get, uh,
1: yeah. I even loved, like, the... I liked reading about the villains who were plotting his demise. And, (laughs) I mean, I didn't really care about his relationship with Mercedes because she's a completely flat character. Like, we get no connection or indication that she has a brain. But...
0: I would say, like, the main villain... uh, Like, I'll admit, I'd... I used to watch the 2002 movie version mm-hmm. of this with Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce, where Fernand Mondego is a much more drawn out and developed character. And then I get to this book and he's very bland. Yeah. like
1: He's like, I don't know. He's like mentioned. a stand-in for the other characters. Barely
0: mentioned. So mm-hmm. like of the three that are plotting against Edmund, you have Fernand who wants to marry Mercedes. He and was,
1: he's kind of portrayed as like a doofus. Yeah.
0: And he's like- He gets
1: used by the other guys. Exactly.
0: And then you have Danglars, who is the other rival to be the captain of the Pharaon, And you kind of... Like- he's like
1: the sneaky one that reminded me of Iago because he's like the one plotting.
0: Yeah. And he's the, also the banker. So he's got mm-hmm. that like sneaky with money undertones. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, Gerard de Villefort, who is the prosecutor that could let him go because he knows what's going on. But then decides to keep him in prison.
1: And isn't Villefort? Oh yeah. And he, his father is a Napoleonic spy. Yes. That plotline I found super intriguing too. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the part where he like had to go warn his father, like, oh, this message is going to come and it's tied to you. And I, I, I really enjoyed that too.
0: Yeah. But and then there's also like the interweaving between these three villains, where Villefort has an affair with Danglars' his wife, and there's a baby that you think is murdered and then all of a sudden is alive and
1: buried in the garden yeah it's, it is weird
0: really bizarre yes i like had to go back and look it over i'm like there's yeah a, there's a dead baby in a garden i don't need but know there's not
1: a dead baby in a garden but yeah. there's actually an alive person somewhere yeah. and yeah it was really weird i'm actually just past that part now i think i really did not like this book
0: <laughs> of those three like revenge plots or villain characters which do you feel like is the most developed slash most interesting like Um, or like how do you feel about their motives
1: well i think it's fernand is interesting because you have mercedes and she recognizes the count yes pretty much nobody else does no and that's kind of interesting it would be more interesting if she were like a better character (laughs) (laughs) um the
0: the part that i like about his revenge storyline is that his son is kind of the first person to be introduced to the count of monte cristo and get him involved in parisian society so alfred mondego is like a big character and i liked that storyline where you're like you're the son of the person that i despise Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna use you as my way to get back at
1: and it's almost like alfred is what Dantes could have been. Yes. Like, he's this young guy. He's coming up. He's going to be successful. He's going to marry, presumably, a beautiful young lady. And he's going to, like, inherit his father's money. Now, Dantes didn't have any money to inherit. But if he would have been the ship captain, he would have faced a much more prosperous future. So that's interesting.
0: So I'm kind of back and forth on it because I think the Mondego revenge plot is the most compelling because of alfred and their Mm -hmm. relationship and the back and forth but fernand is like the blandest character and i feel like there was so much potential there where he could have been drawn out more and i think maybe that's the bias of watching the jim caviezel guy pierce where they're like best friends that end up hating each other and they're more developed as characters yeah um but you've never seen that movie have you
1: i watched it once While I was in France. Nice. So I watched it in French. Oh, fantastic. Subtitles. (laughs) Don't remember a lot of it, but I watched it.
0: Well, in some of the adaptations, they changed out some of that stuff where like Fernand and Edund are more closely like developed. Well, and and you would think
1: like that they probably did grow up together.
0: Well, that's not really explained.
1: No, but even just their shared association with Mercedes sort of speaks to like they, they, I'm sure they knew each other in some way. Yeah. And that his father lives in the community. So I don't know. Um, Which plot did you prefer to that one then?
0: Well, I think that's the better plot line, but I think Donglar's is the more like villainous character. So. Oh yeah.
1: I a, love a good mastermind. Yeah.
0: So like as the character, the one pulling the strings, Donglar's is more interesting. But then I think as the revenge plot goes, they're just like, Oh, you're a banker. I'm just going to overdraw you for how much money that you're <laughs> borrowing for. And then that's going to be my revenge against you. Ooh,
1: banking revenge. Um, Exciting. Yeah. So
0: then you read chapters about that where it's like, Oh, you don't have any credit because I drew all of your money. I'm like, <laughs> what are you
1: talking about? Who cares?
0: <laughs> but he's the one that kind of ends up the best at the end because mm-hmm. Mondet, uh, Fernand kills himself. Spoiler for a book that's you yeah. know, hundreds of years old. Uh, Villefort goes insane. And then Danglars, he just gets, he loses like five million dollars. That was his money. That was his nest egg. And then Edmund has a little bit of sympathy. He's just like, "Here, you can keep fifty thousand francs." And then I'm just not going to leave you alone because yeah, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of just sick of the revenge at this point. Again, like this, yeah. the sequencing of the revenge also messes with my head because well, I'm like, why would you go for the Mondegos first? And then I get it because you're like in love with mercedes and yeah. all these things but then nothing happens there like they just leave society and go and do whatever after fernand kills himself um and then there's the Villefort storyline which was the weirdest one for me like that one was had so many like ups and downs and, i'm still
1: very confused yeah because there's like <laughs>
0: The illegitimate child that, like, ends up coming back and being a full-fledged adult. Yeah. And it, it's so weird.
1: And the whole thing with his father.
0: Yeah, it doesn't like, make sense.
1: blinking in order to communicate, which, mm-hmm. like, that part was actually interesting. Yeah. Um, But then, like, he disinherits him. Yeah. Or, like, his daughter. Yeah, like... Because the... she won't marry a certain person. Yeah, like,
0: the four daughter. Is supposed to marry somebody that her father wants, but then her grandfather is trying to help her to marry somebody else that the Count of Monte Cristo wants to help her with. It's all really discombobulated, and I couldn't understand it.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you use SparkNotes?
0: I did. So
1: and look, I'm an English teacher, so people can take my word for this. SparkNotes is wonderful. Yes. Especially when you're reading a book like this. I think it's such a valuable resource. Some and the... you don't need to feel dumb for using it. It's no. brilliant to use Sparknotes to supplement your reading.
0: Like some of the chapter summaries were so helpful. Oh, yeah. And we were reading the uh, the Penguin translation. And which, the
1: Penguin translation's excellent.
0: Yes. If you're going to read this book, there isn't a better one out there. But it's so big and there's so much twists and turns. And like I said, a big chunk in the middle that I feel like you could just cut out that it's so helpful to read the spark notes and figure out a little bit of the summary. So. Definitely.
1: I know some people, when we announced that we were going to read Monte Cristo, they sent us messages recommending like, take notes while you read because it'll help you. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's super helpful. But then I started listening to the audiobook version and I did that primarily because I just didn't have the time to tackle this big book. And there were other things that I wanted to read too. And the audio that I listened to is really great. I'll look up um, which version it was and put it in the show notes. But that meant that I wasn't going to sit and take notes on who the characters were. And it got even more confusing in the middle, like you said, when I was trying to keep track of who was sleeping with who and who was whose revenge plot was happening at whatever given time. Mm -hmm. Um, So Spark Notes was very, very helpful for this book.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think part of the... Overall, like, if we're not specifying one of the villains, mm-hmm. I think part of the revenge storyline that I liked was how he changes himself to, like, reflect society. Like, sure. I liked the descriptions of when he's going, um, like, into these libraries, and I'll find the exact one where it's like, in Rome, I had 5,000 volumes in my library, but by rereading and rereading them, I found the 150 books that were carefully chosen, that gave me the complete summer of human knowledge or enough that it was useful for a man to know. Yes. So I liked that component of it where it's like, he is treating this and planning it out to such the detail where he knows everything about money, where he is like a crack shot with a pistol. Uh, He takes up fencing.
1: And where does he get that from? Books. No. The Abe.
0: Oh, Abe. He's the best.
1: Because when he met him, remember he kept, he was telling Dantes, he was his mentor and he was telling him like, oh, everything I know, I know because I read books and I'm a learned man and you can have all the power in the world with knowledge. That's where he gets that from.
0: Oh yeah. I'm sorry. That was an Abe Faria quote that I was just reading.
1: Um, But Dantes takes that to heart yes. and then he travels the world and he reads and he becomes this highly like cultured individual and he really fashions himself into a a dark version of the abe mm-hmm. um so i do think that's interesting yeah. and the book does like that follows the hero's journey
0: mm-hmm. I but think, i
1: still think he's a villain
0: well i think abe faria might be my favorite character
1: oh yeah i would say same
0: just he's because, great and yeah.
1: just he has like he's super quotable the chapters where they become friends are really sweet and that's like That was when I started to get really hooked on the book, was Mm -hmm. when the two of them were having their, like, clandestine meetings in the corridors of the prison and, like, talking about escape plans and stuff. That was fun.
0: Then he had to go and die.
1: Yes, that's part of the hero's journey. I'm teaching the hero's journey right now, so that's why I'm, like, all about it.
0: Your mentor has to die. Die
1: or leave, or turn to the dark side. And
0: then you take up their mantle.
1: Yes. Um... I, yeah, I will say, like, Dantes and some of the other characters are super quotable. Like, there are some gems. Like, if you just pluck out some of the quotes from this book, there are some real gems in it. Mm. And I enjoyed that. But I just really... I was rooting for Dantes. And then I found him so completely arrogant and unbearable. And I I do like I can understand the character trajectory and I can understand why he changed, but I don't like it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of in the later part of the book, he keeps talking about providence and these this like religious undertones that you're talking about. And he just sees himself as the right arm of God, where he's taking the vengeance that is rightfully his because of like like divine justice. And it just makes him out to be a douche. Mm-hmm. Like, just the the biggest one in the story.
1: Because he, so he goes and he finds this island with all the riches in the world. Imagine what he could have done if his life was not focused on vengeance. Yes. You could just set yourself up and live the happiest, most wonderful life.
0: Well, I would have just fun going back and forth between all of his personalities. Like he becomes Sinbad the Sailor and he's an Abe and goes back and forth. And the
1: disguise parts are fun. Yeah.
0: So if he just if we had more of that. Yeah. I think that would be more fun.
1: And I don't even mind like I think the intrigue of the Count of Monte Cristo where it's like his introduction into society and everyone's like he's a vampire. Who's this
0: this guy with all the money? Who's
1: this weird vampire guy? Um (laughs) I think that's interesting too. I just could not get myself invested in caring about his revenge because I just didn't, I don't know, maybe I'm just not a a vindictive person.
0: (laughs) I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also more of a proud person than you are. So that's kind of like the dual components of it where it's like he wants his revenge, but he's also a very proud person and he can't salvage those two things. Like, and again, it's we talked about it before. It's the convoluted plots for the revenge that I feel like he could have just been more straightforward with it.
1: Yeah, I understand why it's not though.
0: Well, because but from
1: a modern reader's perspective, we're like, okay, let's cut to the chase. Well,
0: it's because Alexander Dumas is being paid by the word. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to talk about some of the female characters?
1: What is there to talk about? <laughs>
0: Well, you put a spot down here that says the women.
1: Well, I felt like we should talk about them because they serve as important plot points, but they are not characters.
0: I see your point. And it's a very important distinction.
1: Especially Mercedes. Like, she's really just a pawn. Dunglars sees that Fernanda's in love with her, and so he's able to easily manipulate him. Um, she ends up, like, forgiving the Count for ruining her life basically yeah which is weird um and i just think it's unfortunate i think it i don't in the movie is there more of like a relationship when he returns with her
0: yes so in the book he like ends up hooking up with haiti which is well
1: let's get to that in a minute but focus on mercedes for now
0: in the movie he and mercedes get back together and Hades isn't even a character.
1: Yeah. And obviously like a uh, good choice because Hades literally a slave. Yeah. And he keeps her locked away. And then she like comes out with him at parties and, and then- he's like, ha, this is my slave. Isn't she pretty?" And, and everyone's like, oh, ha, he has a slave girl." And then her what?
0: Own- and then her only purpose is to be like the revenge plot against Fernand. Yeah. To like show and that he was also, a traitor.
1: He like picked her up when she was like twelve years old. Yeah. And
0: then she and then, just then keeps her him. as
1: a slave and then marries her. Um, that's some Leonardo DiCaprio shit right there.
0: <laughs> oh, good comparison.
1: So that whole plot is just disgusting. Yeah. So unfortunately we get like no good female characters in here. It's not like I was expecting that.
0: No, but you could say but, the same for, like, all the Villefort women or the Donglars women. Yeah. They serve the plot points where, like, uh, like the marriage back and forth. Yes. Or, like, the illegitimate children. But they're not developed into actual characters.
1: And that's reflective of the time. But, um... Unfortunate. Yeah, I mean... You can always wish, like, hmm, well, if Jane Austen had written this book, <laughs> oh, that'd be really interesting. Be really but interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had a hard time with that. I do really appreciate at least one female character that I can sort of root for or follow, but that just really wasn't the case in this book.
0: Yeah, and you wish like Mercedes would be a little bit more developed, or yeah.
1: like. it would be more interesting if she was like well i'll help you because you're my first love like that is a more intriguing plot or yeah i don't know especially because fernand is so bland. bland and uninteresting that if she were a little bit more sparkly that would be nice agreed all right so i mean i think we've addressed the most important things To us, at at least. least. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a couple of listener questions, um, and I think we should talk about these. This first one is interesting. Um, Is Dante's quest for revenge morally just?
0: Ooh, that's a good one.
1: Can revenge like this be equated with justice? Well, um... And doesn't he kind of question this throughout the book? Like, isn't that a core part of the book, is whether or not what he's doing is actually good.
0: I just don't think he cares. Yeah. Because at the end of it all, he's just trying to get his payback for what happened to him. And like, we can go down the the moral rabbit hole of who's right and who's wrong. Um, personally, like I'm intrigued by revenge storylines because I love when people get their karma weapons um, But in the end, he really just forces one guy to commit suicide. One guy goes insane. He just takes up money from the other guy and ends up letting him get off, and then goes off into the sunset with his slave girl, who ends up being his like romantic. He marries her. Yeah, romantic interest. So hmm. I don't think that he's morally just or right in anything that he does. Yeah. Um. But overall. The scales
1: end up balanced? Do you think the scales end up balanced by the end? He gets sent to prison, but he escapes. And he ends up the wealthiest man in the world.
0: Right. And then he... They
1: are the ones who put him in prison. But he turns out fine. But then they end up, you know, either dead or destitute.
0: Hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. I'm
1: more interested in stories of reconciliation.
0: Yes. So...
1: Maybe that's because I'm an Enneagram 9, and I'm like, everybody should get along and just be happy together. I think, I
0: think it would have a better resolution, like, from a justice perspective, if hands up with Mercedes, and then the time yeah. that's that they ha- lose, um, they get back at the end. Because really, that's the, that. that's the injustice, is like, you're taking this couple in their prime... That are young and broke, but in love. Mm-hmm. And then taking that all away from them. Because he the...
1: gets his life back. He gets his success. He gets the material things that he would have sought.
0: But then he loses out on his love. Yes. Because let's be honest, the th- whatever he has at the end with Haiti is Stockholm Syndrome.
1: Yeah, that's not love. Not
0: love. So it's it'd be different if he had like reconciliation with Mercedes, but he doesn't.
1: yeah. I I can get that. Um, I think it's I think it's dangerous to equate that kind of revenge with justice, especially these days in our culture. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think the book definitely brings up some good questions about that. Um, and you're right. Like you enjoy a good like revenge story. But I don't think that means that you would want to enact it, if given the choice. No, I think you just like the pattern of it.
0: I agree. It's it's a it makes for good storytelling, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that he's morally right.
1: Yeah. Um, our other listener question is: What's up with that ending?
0: You're right, listener. What is up with that ending? <laughs> Um
1: I haven't even read the ending, so go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's what we talked about. Yeah. Where like there's a subplot where um he's trying to help one of the Villefort children marry her true love and so pretends that she's murdered by poisoning and then uh, pulls his little puppet strings. But then he ends up riding off into this or sailing off into the sunset, I should say, with Haiti. And it's just I, that's really what I think is that WTF moment where it's like, okay, you have this girl that is your slave that has Stockholm syndrome that all of a sudden you're going to marry and run away with. It doesn't make any sense.
1: It's gross. It is
0: gross. I, w- I wish better for this ending. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I said, like, I think some of the order in which the revenge plots are taken makes for bad storytelling. So because you, I think the best revenge storyline is with the Mondegos and it's the first one that mm-hmm. is complete. And so, if it
1: was the last and he could have ended up with Mercedes, that would have been more satisfying, interesting.
0: Way more satisfying. Like the whole thing with Glaris, where you're just withdrawing too much money and then all of a sudden he's broke because his line of credit is drawn out you
1: are really not a fan of the banking i am not a fan
0: of the banking (laughs) revenge storyline um but do that one first like because it's just boring and then that ends up being the last one that's enacted no that's stupid um and then the whole feel for it storyline where it's the illegitimate kids and like the back and forth and um like pretending that one of the daughters is murdered so that you can help her secret away with one of your friends yeah i mean it makes you look like the cool benefactor behind the scenes but really it's just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense
1: and his motivations for that don't really
0: no um and part of that is the redeeming part of the morals. So, not morals like morally, right? But yeah.
1: like
0: M O R R E L. Who are the. Morels. Or, whatever. Mr. Morel. Yeah.
1: Remember, I was listening to the audiobook, so I know how to pronounce all these. There you go.
0: That's so, the benefit
1: of the audiobook for this.
0: I did like how he becomes like the benefactor for that family and takes yes, care of them. So, but that's. But that was
1: also like just after he became account right like he visits so the a couple chapters right after he finds the treasure i still liked mm-hmm. so with like the whole morel family plot line yes that was nice part
0: of that comes back at the end where max morel i'm i'm, I'm just gonna call him max and val yes so valentine <laughs> uh veal ford and maximilian morel so val and max mm-hmm. are gonna get their moment in the sunshine and because they have the benefactor looking out for them Mm -hmm. um so i liked that part of the ending because he is kind of looking out for them uh, but then the fact that he just runs away with haiti is doesn't make sense yeah it's and it's also icky
1: yes yeah i do like the little benefactor side plot if that would have been more of like a core of who he is throughout the book And he does, I will say, he doesn't, he uses people's children and wives, but he doesn't harm them. He harms the men. Yes. He doesn't harm the rest of the family. Right?
0: That's accurate. Like Um, like you think. Like
1: they're pawns, but he doesn't like actively seek to harm the entire family. He's really just focused on harming the individuals. Yes. Not that that's that much better. I guess it's a little bit better, but like not that it's. That doesn't mean he's a good guy. No, but
0: he's very focused in his vengeance. Yeah. And that focus is something, I think there's a quote on that too that I really liked where it just talks about that. Um, yeah, where uh, my captivity concentrated all my faculties on a single point. And mm-hmm. I, I liked that. That was such a good description of being in prison and how he is just so focused on revenge and in, um, where it is yeah so at once more he vowed that same implacable oath of vengeance that he had already taken in prison against danglar's fernand and Villefort, but now the oath was no longer an empty threat like that's really good writing oh yeah that's really good writing so such that, good
1: pull quotes yeah
0: and then that's like the problem that i have with this entire book is like there's the pockets of really good writing and then shakes the shakespearean storyline and then just the boring subplots mm-hmm. that you have to get through. So I know I'm kind of skipping ahead to like, would we recommend the book or how we really do no, it? No, go ahead. We but can talk about that. Like, I think people should read it. Um, I have a friend of mine who reads this book every year, which I don't understand. How?
1: If it's the only book you read, okay, but how? I
0: don't understand. Like, he reads it, he said he reads it every year. Um, so I don't know how he does. Um, I would
1: need someone to take revenge on me for that
0: (laughs) and apparently there's like abridged versions of the story that cut it down to like 500 pages
1: well sure but then you're not necessarily getting the writing
0: right so because of the writing because of the history and nature of the story and how it's like i mean going through it i thought of like ben-hur which is something that was influenced by this or other like V for Vendetta is one of my favorite movies that talks about like kind of revenge topics. And incidentally, they show clips of like the 1930s version of Monte Mm -hmm. Cristo in that. Um, So because I like those type of stories, I would recommend it because he's a great writer. I do like The Three Musketeers as well. Um, And there's portions of Edmund's storyline that I love where he goes from like this young impressionable sailor has this like immeasurable evil done to him and how he bounces back from that like we talked about where he is like the benefactor and getting into society and all of those things but then it just becomes a bore for a couple hundred pages
1: more than a couple hundred pages
0: yeah i think knowing so huge i think knowing that going in um I still would undertake it.
1: And know that Sparknotes is your friend. Yes. And that there's no shame in using that no. to supplement. I would
0: say pick up the Penguin edition. Know where your Sparknotes are. Um, go into it knowing you're looking for those pockets of really great writing and the storyline. Um, but overall, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I was hoping for more.
1: I wonder if... The Black Count? Because you loved that book so much. Yeah. Because you really liked that. I did. Loved it. I wonder if that set you up for a little bit of disappointment.
0: There's always that potential.
1: Um, I think people who are closer to my reading taste, I can easily say skip this one. I do think it was worth reading the first quarter, whatever we said it was. Yeah. Like up until... He becomes the Count. He becomes the Count and enters the French society. So I would say it's not a bad thing to just read that far and then read the spark notes of the rest. Um, If you're interested in just, like, sort of getting a feel for the language and Dumas' writing. But, I mean, I definitely... I don't know. I'm not even sure that I'm going to finish it, so... I'm... I... It's fun to discuss it together.
0: Yes. I'm glad that we did.
1: Yes. Um, but yeah, this might be like one of my least favorite buddy reads though, to be honest. A good discussion. Good buddy read in terms of that, but like in terms of how much I liked the book. Ugh, I'm just not a big fan of this one.
0: Well, we did have that question the other day where we were like getting some feedback from the audience based. Like what was the book that we kind of had the most opposite thinking about. Yeah. This might be it because Maybe. I think I like it more than you do.
1: We agree on a lot of things about it though. True.
0: But that's just the nature of how we work. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Do we want to cover any of the other like major plots or themes or?
1: I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would really like to talk about some other book recommendations for people who either like The Count of Monte Cristo or want something similar but don't want to tackle this huge book
0: okay i think we got something
1: um you were just talking about a tom clancy book the other day what's the one that michael b jordan is going to be in
0: oh yeah um so that's without remorse by tom clancy is one of my favorites by him um so john clark is kind of his darker side hero to jack ryan Uh, he was a navy seal in vietnam he comes home in this book and His love interest is a former prostitute that ends up getting murdered by her pimp. And then he enacts like this giant revenge plot where he goes and murders all of these pimps in Baltimore or wherever he is. And then he draws the attention of the CIA and becomes an assassin and develops into like this cool character for the rest of the book series. Um, So I think they're toning that down a little bit for the Michael B. Jordan movie. I think it's his wife that ends up being murdered. that makes sense um but still like similar navy seal comes home revenge storyline all of those things so
1: it sounds very similar to monte cristo
0: very good as like a revenge story too so i think i know we're talking about me reading a romance novel and then you reading like one of my bro military books so that might be one that i pick is because of the movie coming out next year so
1: um and that's your favorite tom clancy series
0: Um, so John Clark is my favorite Tom Clancy character versus Um, Jack Ryan. Yeah. I like the, I like the books that feature him more than the ones that feature Jack Ryan. So without remorse, rainbow six, those are my favorites. Um, versus like the ones that are more Jack Ryan centric.
1: Cool. Um, I would recommend If people are more focused on, like, the adventure part of The Count of Monte Cristo, they liked the high society stuff, but the whole revenge plot got boring. Um, There's a young adult book, A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, and the main character is this, like, rich young guy. He's got a best friend, also a rich young guy, and they are ready to, like, travel the world and get into trouble because they're young men of a time where they could do whatever they wanted and they have these fortunes and they're going to just go live it up.
0: Oh, men.
1: Well, <laughs> plot twist, the main character is actually like super in love with his best friend. Yeah. And then they get into trouble and there's like a manhunt, And so they are like on more of a chase situation.
0: So not only a manhunt, but he's hunting for a man. Well, ah, uh, nailed it.
1: No, because it's his best friend. Whatever. Nailed it. So there's more like romantic intrigue. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'll read it.
1: It's um, also being turned into a movie or a TV series, I nice. think. And then there's a second book about his sister and she's a lady pirate. What? Yes.
0: Love lady pirates.
1: So, um, it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. I listened to this one on audio. Good choice. Um, so if you like the sort of like pirate aspects and the like fancy society and just the fun of Monte Cristo, that's a good one to pick up.
0: I love pirates. Uh, another one that was also a serial, but from the 1960s, um, is True Grit, uh, which ended up becoming a novel, uh, written by Charles Portis and then has been adapted a couple of times to be a movie. So it's a, it's told from a woman's perspective, uh, Maddie Ross, who was, was 14 at the time of the story and is trying to get revenge for her father um who was murdered by a scoundrel tom chaney so i really like the 2010 version of the film a little bit more than the john wayne version and i read the book as well um it's got the old west kind of justice to it as well which is another aspect of this where i think the setting also plays into a, a good revenge story um kind of when there's no law or when you have to kind of take the revenge out for yourself to get your own version of justice whether it's like the most morally correct or if it's just the best that you can do Mm -hmm. so i like those components of true grit
1: my favorite justice revenge story is the princess bride oh
0: of course
1: i've never read the book me neither the movie is one of my favorites yes um but I've heard the book is good, so you know, if you want something sort of like Monte Cristo, I think *The Princess Bride* by William Goldman would be good.
0: Ah, there's there's kissing in it. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know. You don't like those parts.
1: Or just watch the movie because it's such a good movie. Um,
0: Grandpa, this is a kissing scene. Yeah.
1: <laughs> also, really love *The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*.
0: Yeah, really good.
1: Um, I read that book. I think when I was in high school. That's mm-hmm. um, It's intense uh didn't really care about the movie that much
0: no and the sequel books i didn't really care for that as much either me neither i think i, think this...
1: I read i liked the first two mm-hmm. the series continues but steek larson died and there's a ghostwriter now so yes. i don't know i I'm, haven't read any of the other ones i'm on
0: record saying i don't like that as a practice but yeah it's a it's a money grab to me but
1: but i liked the girl with the dragon tattoo and i think that one in itself is worth reading if yes. you like thrillers um also gone girl Great revenge story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think it gets unjustly sort of, like, villainized because we have all of these, like,
0: unreliable the girl who near, left. Unreliable the, yeah. narrators. Yeah.
1: But it's, I really liked it. Yeah. Um, just because
0: you're a trendsetter. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're bad. And,
1: yeah, Julian Flynn is excellent. She's writing a modern version of Hamlet. Really? Yes. For the um, Hogarth Shakespeare series, which is where all of these super famous authors are adapting um Shakespeare's plays into novels Hmm. um there are like six of them out right now and Hamlet is Gillian Flynn interesting yeah I'm really excited about that um and then Atonement by Ian McEwen this is a story of justice but it's not a revenge plot so if you need something maybe with more like contemplative themes of like justice and grappling with guilt and right from wrong and um that sort of thing i it's sort of a similar plotline like where someone is unjustly imprisoned and i really liked atonement i don't like ian McKeown, like as a person i think mm-hmm. he's a jerk but um i really liked atonement I think I read it for class that is also a movie so I don't think it's a coincidence that all these revenge stories are moving or are movies like we said like this makes good entertainment I just did not like the Count of Monte Cristo but I don't like giant books like that either so yeah I don't know
0: I feel like we made the point
1: (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> we definitely made our point. Do you have any other book recommendations before we close it out?
0: No, I think those are good. Um, I'm sure I'll think of one as soon as we're done. Um, but, we can always um, just
1: post it on Instagram. Yeah, I'll
0: be happy to engage with people on there as well. Yeah.
1: Um. So speaking of which, follow us on Instagram. That's where we make a lot of our announcements and... Um, Put extra book recommendations. Yeah,
0: come at me if you like the new Star Wars movies, and then we can talk about Last Jedi oh, and, how boy. It's, and how it's terrible. But, you know.
1: <laughs> so send us a message at Red on Instagram. Um, we're also at HeReadSheRead on Twitter. And you can email us if you really want to get into it with Curtis about The Last Jedi at he read, she read podcast at gmail.com. Um, don't forget that we are reading Ghost Talkers by Mary Robinette Kowal for our next buddy read and leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you want to make our day
0: yeah stick around we're gonna be some good buddy reads coming up in 2020 we're excited about what we've got coming
1: i'm really excited thank you so much for listening everyone and remember the couple that reads together
0: gets their revenge in like 500 pages
1: instead of a 1, thousand yeah 100 or whatever it is yeah, we're what is the page count of monte cristo like 1200
0: 1500
1: Yeah, we could easily do it in four.
0: We will have our revenge, folks. We will just be quicker about it.